This is the Yacht Business Podcast with me, David Fuller. Welcome to the Yacht Business Podcast. In this episode, David talks to Nick Houchin, head of marketing for Musto. They discuss innovation and how brands adapt to changing trends. For show notes and links, go to yachtbusiness.biz. Nick Houchin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Thanks for, thanks for speaking with me. I first heard of you when you reached out to me sort of looking for a way of transitioning between being a, a pro sailor, for want of a better word, and moving into the business of, of into the yacht business. So maybe you can talk about that before we start on, on Musto. Just give yeah. us a little bit of the thing, you know, how you, how you got to where you, how you got to where you are now. Yeah. Do you know, what? I was thinking about that on the way into the office today, actually. Um, uh, when we first, first met, you were kind enough to meet me for a coffee near, uh, in, in Richmond, West, Southwest London for a coffee and a catch up and just kind of, you know, talk about the industry and talk about, you know, opportunities and things like that. But that was, yeah, I kind of, I guess my sailing background, I came through, uh, the RYA youth squad system, sailing optimists, all twenties, lasers and things before going to university in Southampton. And yeah, being in Southampton and into sailing, racing every weekend on the Solon on big boats, uh, got into the world of kind of professional sailing, uh, raced with private owners, sponsored teams, and and, uh, and most of the way through my twenties, um, did a couple of big races and started to look for something a little bit more um, with a bit more certainty. Um, what did you, what did you study at university? Was was there a uh, a marine element to that, or something different? It, it, I studied sports development and marketing. Okay. So okay. that's where my interest grew for the sports world and and marketing sponsorship, particularly, uh, which I wrote my dissertation on sponsorship in sailing, and kind of took it took that into I guess my professional career now. So yeah, and then meeting you. Oh, I think it was must have been about 2012, 2013. Um, it must have even earlier than that. I was. I remember doing my directory of the sailing world back in 2008, 2009. Yeah, so, um, we've both got a few more grey hairs since then. <laughs> yeah, because I think then you you were sort of involved in in what was then the extreme sailing series with the extreme 40s. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I worked with uh, the Oman Sail Team, um, and I also worked with Mike Golding and his Ecova team working kind of sailing on the boat sometimes but also supporting um looking after the boat on the shore side as well so yeah i was involved in the extreme sailing series there and and uh my involvement with oman sail grew and ended up doing the round the world non-stop that they they did in 2009 um, the oman sail project was um started to kind of reignite their maritime heritage funded by mainly their tourism board to grow tourism and you know and and get people out on the water and use it as a as a sports development tool in their in their own in their own country so now that they have uh, several school sailing schools around the coast of Oman scattered around the coast of Oman and and uh, really focusing on the grassroots back then they wanted these flagship projects like the extreme sailing series and and the round around the world kind of campaign to to kind of put their you know put a flag in uh, flag in the in the ground and and say this is this is us this is Oman this is what what we're about and and kind of cause cause you know get some great publicity and and kind of turn turn their eyes get people to turn their eyes to the country so that was great and the the, the around the world campaign uh, they bought uh, Ellen MacArthur's old B and Q trimaran 
and they had a, a kind of an X factor kind of selection process uh, to select a one Omani to to join the crew, the crew of five. So there was five of us, two two French, excellent, amazing French sailors, and obviously myself and and another English guy as well, a great navigator, and did all the media on board, and uh, and then. Mossin, the, the Omani, joined us as part of the crew as well. So that took 76 days. But that was when I was 24, I think it was, back in 2009. And um, so I feel like I ticked a, ticked a few boxes quite early on in my, my sailing career. And um, and by the time I, I reached my late 20s, was looking to move into get an office job, essentially, <laughs> and in the, yeah. in the business side of the sport and into marketing. You know, a lot of the people who come into the business of sailing specifically seem to come from like a sail making background that seems to be the path that a lot of them go in work for a sail maker and then sort of get into the business through sail making so so the marketing side is is i I would say not very common within the business but yeah just back to aman sail and i think it, it was an incredible project so being exposed to something like that that had the the political will at a at a royal level and at a ministerial level and a lot of investment and a real yeah. vision to sort of say, right, we're going to put, not just put Amman on the map from a tourism point of view. And I remember that Amman Air was sort of launching at about the same time. And, right, yeah. um, right. you know, no one had ever heard of Amman Air. It was it was like this new, it's, certainly no one knew it c- compared to Emirates or, or Etihad. It was a very much a, you know. Well, a new, well I, I first flew Oman Air out to Oman. There were about I don't know ten people in the lounge, and it was a big, big, big jet. I think four people turned left, four people turned right. When we got onto the plane, I turned right, of course, and uh, yeah, the, the plane was empty, and it was from a, some obscure gate in Gatwick. But then two years later, it was a full flight flying from Heathrow, and uh, so you kind of saw firsthand the 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 impact that their marketing and and everything they did, did had had on kind of people going out there. I think it also had a it had a massive impact on diversity within the sport yeah. as well. You know, they were yeah. they were very pro uh, getting girls and women um, into yeah. the into the system. Yeah, just having having people that aren't <laughs> that aren't that aren't from Southampton with no no disrespect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or Sydney or Sydney Harbour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah the, the space. Yeah. So then you, you, I think you did a little bit with SAP as well from the extreme side. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I, I was I. First, before that, I, I worked with a guy who had an athlete management agency. Um, so I was kind of working part time with him, looking after some Olympic sailors that he had. He managed um, uh, Ian Percy and, and Bart Simpson uh, through their Olympic campaigns, and I think still works with them uh, on various projects. So that was quite a good experience. And then, yeah, got a job working for the agency, looking after SAP's sponsorship portfolio in the world of sailing. So that, yeah, like you said, include extreme sailing series. It included um, 505 World Championships, a German Olympic sailing team, and uh, various other other events. So that was quite an exciting time. They were using their technology to help the sport and help make it more spectator-friendly with, with tracking uh, and a user interface that people can really dive, not just spectate and view the racing, but also dive into the analytics. You know, the, the 505 World Championships, for example, you know, these are mostly amateur sailors. Um, who wouldn't normally have access to this kind of technology and they can come off the water they would we'd have a stage do a, a great debrief with one of the, the kind of tech, tech experts and kind of review the racing with you know, perhaps the person who won the race or came you know had some success during that race kind of reviewing it on stage a bit like you would in uh, you know after a, a after a game of football on sky sky sports or something but um so that was quite interesting in in the way that they were helping the sport and using their technology to 
show off their capabilities as well and kind of humanizing their own brand through sponsorship too so that was that was really insightful. So they, have, they have had a very long history of sponsoring sailing i know they were yeah they sponsored one of the new zealand america's cup campaigns way back in the day that's and, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. A, a bit like oracle is now doing in terms of their um post uh sell gp uh stats and and some yeah. of the stuff that they're doing there but yeah i think it is a good it, it might be a little bit of a backwards fit i don't know you might know more than me but it's it looks more to me that maybe the ceo really likes sailing and then kind of found a found an excuse to make it fit the business later yeah i think so a bit of that i mean that always there has to be a key stakeholder a key decision maker isn't there that's got to have an interest in something um to kind of make things work but yeah, we hosted um, lots of people and lots of customers of SAP through, you know, through those those events, and and they were, you know, it, the Extreme Sailing Series kind of took their breath away and were able to kind of dive into it using a piece of software that they would use analyzing their own business performance and sales data and things. So it was quite interesting and and, and quite clever how they did that. But yeah, it's got to come from a key decision maker. There's got to be an interest somewhere high up in in any business to to kind of take a sponsorship forward. Yeah, and that, that series also pioneered the idea of having the guests on board during the races as well, which was pretty special for from a hospitality point of view. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and they were yeah they were very forward thinking, and yeah, getting people on the boat was, I think it had its moments, but um, yeah, they they couldn't do it over certain wind strengths or when there was no wind, it wasn't exactly a thrilling experience either. But <laughs> but um, but when it, when it was went on the right, yeah, there were so many great venues and so many great scenarios where it. It was a money can't buy experience, and and they really used that that to their um, yeah to their strength really. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also stay in touch via Facebook and Instagram. Every episode has its own page with more information and links at yachtbusiness.biz. In coming months, we plan to cover some big events, including Mets. Our event-based episodes are listened to around the world, so if you would like to sponsor one of those please get in touch. Now, back to the show. Now you're at Musto. Musto's been through some changes since you've been there. Yeah. So, so it, started, I just... it started as a tradi- fairly traditional sort of British brand, and I didn't realise until sort of later on that, that it, it also did sort of um, hunting clothing as well as as well as sailing. I've always known it as a sailing brand. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it has been quite a traditional sort of British brand yeah it's it's i i joined musto uh late 2016 now so i'm approaching seven years sorry uh at musto uh, i've been head of marketing for about four and a half of those the yeah musto started um and actually next year's the, the brand's 60th anniversary so in 1964 keith musto won an olympic silver medal in tokyo and he realized how close the margins were between gold and silver and i think they only lost out on gold by you know a matter of seconds in the final race so kind of left that and uh, he was always a bit of a pioneer anyway kind of pushing the limits they were a small crew so they worked harder on their fitness and back in the 60s that was almost frowned upon you're doing fitness how dare you and so they he left sitting down in a sitting down sport yeah exactly so (laughs) he uh so they uh he his mentality he applied that mentality he that he did towards his racing, towards um, firstly making making sales with um, Edward Hyde, and then um, splitting off from them and, and concentrating on on the clothing part of things in the in the eighties. And the the country sports 
came around because he was wearing a sailing jacket in his in the eighties, watching his his daughter ride a horse, uh, at, you know, her riding lessons, and it was raining, and he was the only parent that was stood there dry. Um, so, so, so essentially, he adapted what he knew and and what they knew uh, from manufacturing, you know, clothing garments into into making um, clothing for the for the countryside, whether that be equestrian or or the um, you know the, the game game shooting um, and 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 the lifestyle as well. So, so that that's yeah, we've still got that strong heritage. That was in the eighties. So, Musto's been kind of in the countryside and the outdoors, and particularly obviously in the UK for for you know a couple of. You know, several decades now so now it's we we've moved away from the you know the, the, the shooting and the hunting uh, and and the sport specific things in the countryside to actually going back to those roots of just keep keeping people dry in the countryside and, and that's right. how we got that's how we got into the countryside so we're, we're applying our expertise of keeping people dry in the southern ocean and the north you know the north atlantic wherever they might be in the most extreme conditions on earth and applying that that knowledge to keeping people dry uh, in the out in the in the great outdoors so uh, and that's a story we'll we'll continue to tell and 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 kind of use as 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 our brand and, and staying close to that place close to our roots is is there a b2b element to it i mean i'm, I'm assuming that there there's a lot more um there's a lot more jobs that seem to be happening offshore or um outdoors these days is do you have a do you have a sort of a workwear or a, or a b2b element yeah to a, to a degree yes uh, a lot of our garments are you know are, are suitable for for the most extreme conditions on on the planet so naturally some scaled down versions of that are suitable for you know offshore wind farms or you know or many many different places and whether that be in the countryside you know some of these big stables are uh, equestrian owners are are you know, using musto for their for their staff as well so and, and as their uniform so there's there's quite yeah there is a large part of it which is b2b so so what are some of the main drivers of of innovation i know that and you know obviously you said that it, it came from a sort of a peak performance athletic drive to, to be the best and to have the best equipment is that still a driver of innovation or are there other things like sustainability or um, developments in materials and things like that that are that are pushing the the way you develop uh, your range? 100% performance is at the center of the brand. Um, It's been at the center of the brand. It's about working with the best sailors in the world to help them win races out on the water. It also starts, what we do starts with them as well, because without their feedback, without their insights, um, we won't be able to create the, you know, the first class world leading garments that we, that we do. Sustainability now is obviously a very big part of what we do and what everyone does. The whole industry is, uh, I think the circular economy is still in its in its infancy. So it's um, not just coming down from innovate, yeah, innovation kind of has kind of two parts of it, pushing performance and making sure a garment can help someone perform at their best and and not have to think about what they're wearing or how they how they feel cold, wet, dry or hot. But also combining that with sustainability now and making sure that what we make lasts as long as possible, firstly, but also is made as as is environmentally as a, as, a, as a smaller impact on on the um, on the planet as well. So whether that is you know, recycled fabrics, whether that's you know, fluorocarbon, you know, chemical free kind of uh, DWR, and so on and so forth. But also looking at making sure that at the end of its life, it's either repairable or it can be broken down and recycled into other textiles and and made into other garments. So it all starts at the design conceptual process so what are the 
what are the things that this garment needs to needs to achieve? Is it the performance? Is it you know can we can we make this product more sustainable? And it all starts at the beginning. If you if you just head on head you know head down a, a narrow alleyway to making the most high performance high performance garment you can, then it it might not tick the, the sustainability box as much as you'd like. So it's about trying to get that trade off and and educating ourselves, doing as much research and and innovating on both fronts, the performance and on the sustainability front, to make sure that we can take things take things forward. I found an old wetsuit in my garage the other day, and um, Rip Curl actually have a recycled scheme yeah. here in Australia, so I can take my took my wetsuit back to the Rip Curl store, and they're going to turn it into. I think they're going to said they were going to turn it into um, the the rubberized playground stuff for for kids. So Musto, I guess, just sort of staying on the innovation sort of topic, Musto has always been sort of the incumbent brand, I guess you could say. I felt that maybe there was a time where it kind of became slightly complacent. On the other hand, there doesn't seem to be that many new dedicated sailing clothing brands around. Is is that just because the R&D and the and the barriers to entry are so high or why or is it just the market's too small and there's no point in somebody else trying to sort of come in and do something different it's a good question i think yeah i agree musto with the, with the leading technical sailing brand you know many of the markets we go to walking around cows week two weeks ago musto's everywhere on cruises on hardcore races um, offshore sailors, inshore sailors, even the dinghy world now as well. Yeah, we're we're the technical leader, um, and it's about for us. We want to try and cement and extend that position, um, continue to to not rest on our laurels and keep on pushing ourselves, and 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 keep on doing that. The market, yes, it probably has uh, has has its limits, and it probably you know gets bigger during uh, during boom times and shrinks a little bit when when people are keeping an eye on their their wallets and things. There are other brands that have come up in the last ten years. What, another another brand more recently that's that's kind of pushing us in the offshore world, um, as well connected with with various crews and and the industry as well already. So it's it's um, yeah we we we'll keep we'll keep on pushing and it's nice to have that because having competition just keeps you pushing harder and it and it also having a few more brands to play in the market hopefully helps make make the market a bit bigger as well. So yeah, it's it's no bad thing we. We want to obviously maintain a, a number one, our number one position as a technical leader, but um, but continue to, to to play around and work against and in, in the market with with competing brands too to you know for the for the good of us good of us all really to and the good of the sport mostly too. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. want more people to get into sailing, but the, you know a lot of us in the in the brand here are all sailors and we love the sport. Um, we know the good it can do for people and and the planet. So it's it's a, it's a good we're in a good place from that perspective and the market is uh, gone through an interesting time since covid big big boom straight out of it and it's kind of starting to set, settle down a little bit now it's kind of the, the point of impact big ripples and the ripples are just kind of hopefully getting smaller as we as we head away from the impact and, and things become a bit more consistent but the last couple of years we have the last year we relaunched our mpx and br2 uh, collections um, which you know, MBR one collection as well. So that's a big part of our business. Um, certainly, at the sailing market too. So that was that was a you know, that was a great year year for us last year and into this year too. Um, and and this year we've relaunched um, our HPX collection, a complete head to toe collection for for um, for the offshore 
Ocean Sailor. So that's been um, that's been amazingly well received. We, we uh, several teams in the ocean race wore it recently. All the top Amoka sailors are wearing HPX, and um, and the feedback's been been brilliant. We're so so happy for that from that perspective. So we we, we like to say the best just got better, and um, and our HPX. It's it's so much so important and so intrinsic to the Musto brand. It's important that HPX continues to 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 maintain its iconic status. One of the things about items like that is that you, as a professional or even someone who's um, you know got got the money to spend a little bit extra on it, you, you really can tell the difference. I mean, the last thing you want to be is cold and wet, but also it lasts longer. I mean, you know, it's. I think it's the same with a lot of so a lot of boating and a lot of um, yachting is that the investment up front can be quite quite steep. But um, once you've made that investment, you know some of the, some of this gear lasts lasts forever, which I guess isn't good for your ongoing revenue. <laughs> it's amazing seeing going to some events and speaking to speaking to to people that and sailors or you know not even just sailors but people in. I see Musto walking around my area in southwest London where I live and and I'm very tempted to sometimes stop people walking. I know they're going about their day, just go, yeah, excuse me, what do you think of your jacket and how do you know about the brand and things? But yeah, product can last for a long time and we've seen some great I had someone email me with a twenty year old, you know, say, Oh, I thought you'd be interested to see this twenty year old. Um, they tracked me down on social media and what do you think of this dry suit? We've had it for twenty years, still as good as new. And so those stories are those stories are amazing. No, it's good. It's good from a branding branding point of view, which is always something that's interesting to me. So, how long does it take to bring a product to market these days? You know, Ooh. from from concept to to having it on the on the shelf. HPX took about three years, um, but that's we're talking about the most technical, you know, one of the most technical garments you could you could possibly make. We have uh, we have our usual kind of seasonal timeline, which so at the moment we're the designers are working on autumn winter twenty five. To get that right, then, so I'm thinking about several seasons at several times. But yeah, the, yeah. the design is working all the winter 25 from a lifestyle perspective, the lifestyle and kind of outdoor collection. Whereas our inshore racing and you know our sailing collections, we're working on you know for 2026 already. So we've extended that timeline even further for the technical products. So yeah, it's out there going doing doing more research. Than we, than we ever have before, making the prototypes, doing more testing than we ever have before, and really making sure that by the time the product, that technical product comes to market, we have a, you know, 100% confidence in it and it's the best product it could possibly be. It's a balance between making the best possible product but also making sure that it, it, it's, it's fairly priced and we want people to be able to, to wear the product and, and buy the product, of course. Um, so that's that's a balance, but it's yeah, we've got people in in the business here in the design development team that have been here for 20, 25 years. Um, so they they know their stuff and they know how to to get the best possible product to market, um, which yeah. is which is amazing to see. And I love sitting next to them um, sometimes uh, on a ferry trip to to France to go and see our Amoka ambassadors and just hearing them talk about you know trips out to the far east um to to, to meet fa- factories and, and suppliers and and even you know the, the product they worked on here in in the office when they're when they get the prototypes here and listening to them talk about the little details and and, and the way it might fit or the way it might move 
and the op- different options in fabrics and and so on and so forth. It's 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 fascinating, and my, my I've certainly become a bit of a geek since working at Musto. Not just a marketeer, but loving loving the product and understanding it and how it all comes together. Well, I think it cha- it changes immensely, you know, and it, and it's interesting that you have different different lenses. You know, I, I sailed in Dubai for the last five years. I didn't wear a one piece of um, wet weather gear for five years. I was sailing yeah. in shorts and shorts and a shirt, but. You know, on the other hand, I need technology that is that you know wicks away the sweat, so you don't you know don't feel sticky and clammy, and it's still an apparel challenge. It's just not the same as staying dry in the solvent. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's one of the challenges because people it, when we talk about the elements. You think, yeah, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is getting blown away or getting wet, but actually, elements. Yeah, you know, the, the heat is such a big factor, and so many people for so many people that sail so that's why in our lpx collection for instance we've got some t-shirts um which we launched this year i think it was that are they actively cool cool you so they've got you know you put it on and you've and i wore it in the i wore my t-shirt in the office a couple of weeks ago and i was like i think i, think I might need to put a jumper on here because it, it's starting to feel cool but um but yeah it, it kind of reacts with the perspiration and and actually actually calls you in the same way that maybe yeah what the the sensation you get when you put chewing gum in your mouth you get that kind of yeah that that cooling kind of impact yeah. works works in the same sort of way so that's that's quite cool even yeah so on the on the less kind of bulkier items to protect you that don't you know that, that don't protect you from the uh from the wind and the rain but do protect you and help increase your comfort in hot and hot and warm climates but uh, and then as you say that even the boat design is also changing the requirements because you know rather than sort of standing on on the deck of a you know being hit by a fire hose at 35 knots they're now in an enclosed cabin and yeah aren't getting as wet perhaps as they used to yeah, exactly. And we've seen since the the Yamaha Yamo- boats, for example, have you know had those enclosed cockpits. We're seeing different wear points. People spend so much time on their hands and knees uh, now as well, just because the boat you can't stand up uh, unless you right. unless you onto something. So to move around the boat, people are on their hands and knees. So, but people live; the sailors still live in their their salopettes. Um, so we had to make sure that certain points, certain parts of the garment had more more protection or were reinforced in certain ways or men you know or stitched together in certain certain places um moving seams so that the places that did get were getting a lot of the wear would survive in the in the way that they now used them um so it's it was really fascinating and see seeing that and mid layers became even more important because people live like you know, all the, the sailors and on the militia team and and the ocean 11th hour team they called them their offshore pajamas but they were so warm but you it's great having warmth, but you still need them to be able to breathe. So, you know, we're making sure you've got a really air permeable liner. Um, the the insulation that you use, the premium loft insulation that we use, is is the their 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 top top of the range insulation that breathes really well, but also insulates, and you get insulation that can kind of expand when someone's there's heat on the inside to let the heat out a little bit, or um, or let let the let the moisture out, but also when you're static. And there's less moisture to kind of closes up to, to kind of keep to keep the insulation in. So it, it's even the even the mid layers, which you think is just you know a warm, cozy, cozy layer, is you know, incredibly technical to, to kind of support the sailors' comfort. Yeah, I think I think from a buyer persona point of view, if we want to put our marketing hats on, the the buyer personas in sailing are so uh, there's so many edge cases and so many differences. You know, it's one 
like I said, maybe 20, 25 years ago, you just wanted a jacket that if you were sitting on the rail of a 30-footer or 40-footer, you just wanted yeah. to stay dry while you clung onto the rail of a of yeah. a boat. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. now you've got, you know, people who are grinding, people who are indoors, got dinghy sailors that are, you know, pushing the pushing their limits to uh to the limit. and actually i'm I don't, I don't know whether you guys did it um might have been another brand that we're working with them on sale to develop modest sailing clothing for arab women as well but um right. yeah there's yeah. so many different edge so many different buyer personas and edge cases <laughs> that's it and and cha- and sailing is changing and it has changed since covid and and it continues to change uh, i got myself a, a, a paddleboard probably 10 10, 12 years ago, and I, I used to do it on the River Thames, and people looked at me weird. But you, you can't go anywhere now without you know, near, near a water's edge without seeing a paddleboard. And so more people are doing that than possibly dinghy sailing. And, and as long as you get the tides, as long as you get the tides right. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, the flow of the river. Make sure you go upstream first, um, and then and then come down with it after you tide. But the it's yeah, the, the sport sailing we've seen the. The governing body in the UK, the RYA, which obviously has an influence globally as well for their training programs and things, rebranded and relaunched a new strategy, um, rec- recognizing that the sport is changing. People seem to have less time to do stuff, um, and they they kind of pick an Everest, their own Everest each year, and they'll they'll maybe focus on that rather than sailing week in week out, and and kind of focus on that way. So yeah, the people's the market, the consumers' behaviour is. Has uh, has changed and will continue to change. So it's it's a tough job trying to stay on stay on top of that and all the trends that are taking place. Spoken to a few people on this on this podcast about the, the various trends through COVID and post, and the, the people wanted to be on boats during COVID because it was a it was socially distanced. It was a, a social, an accepted socially distanced activity that people could do. But I think I was speaking to the uh, the Australian Boating Industry Association a couple of weeks back before the Sydney Boat Show and they were saying that the, the growth is that's still there. Yeah. Um, you know, they're seeing, for example, an increase in boat licences and they're seeing an increase in boat licences for women and they're seeing some so some interesting trends that isn't necessarily just the bit that we like, which is the, the sailing side, but, um, yeah. you know, whether that's people who are buying boats to go fishing or buying boats to just get out of it, get out of the, out of the way. Yeah. It's always going to change, and some of the technology is is sort of trickling down. I remember you were speaking about Mike Mike Golding. I remember talking to Mike about you know how technology like autopilots, um, you know, trickled down from the Amoka boats into into people's um, you know everyday everyday boats, and now we're seeing even foils sort of trickle down into the into the uh, leisure market, which is kind of interesting to see. Yeah, that's it exactly, and and the more people innovate the more people you know kind of work on the work on these technologies and and everything you know different parts of the sport it it just it does become more accessible and that's that's we talk about the trickle down effect in our clothing collection as well so starting with hpx you'll see the features from the collar in you know our br1 collection which is our kind of entry level entry sailing collection so it's i think it's important and it's you can't you've got to embrace change and embrace innovation run with it really as well but try and stay ahead of it too which is yeah a bit of bit of a crystal ball game but at the same time it's trying to predict the trends as well as stay on top of the current ones is um is is the fun part too it's that recognition which which i like what you said which is it's that recognition of like we are not a sailing clothing brand we are our purpose is to is to keep people comfortable you know, yeah. whether that's to keep them dry or to keep them 
cool or to keep them warm or to keep them so that they don't bust their knees on their crawling around the bottom of their all-carbon boat. But, um, yeah, that, that sort of mentality, which is why are we here, we're not here to make sailing clothing. We're here to help people feel as comfortable as they they can be um, with the with the tools that they've got. That's a really that's a long term way of thinking about it, and it, and that also comes back to the sustainability side of things. That sort of says, well, our customers spend a bunch of their time getting their enjoyment out of activity on the water, and if we if we if our activity is causing long term harm to that environment, then we won't have a business, you know, sometime in the future. So. Yeah, the musto jacket means so much, so much to so many people. Uh, you hear people reference it. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna. Oh, it's definitely a musto. And you look out the window. I think oh, it's definitely a musto day today. I'm gonna take put my musto on. And um, it's no coincidence that you know, a windy, rainy, autumnal day in certain places, certain areas. I mean, my, I'd say a rural, rural. I live in a rural urban area, southwest London. And when it's a typical day like that, people put on their musto, whether it's a sailing jacket or a country or outdoor jacket. It means that they can go about their day and enjoy whatever they're doing without having to worry about getting wet. Or The age-old thing. I don't know whether they must have invented this phrase or whether it comes from somewhere else. The old thing of there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothing. Oh, we definitely invented that. Yeah, <laughs> I use it yeah. all the time. Exactly. Yeah. No, I always say that too. I'm really proud to be part of my where, um, work for Musto here. It's a it's an incredibly special brand, and you you kind of see that when when you see some of the people that work here and the, the journey they've been on with the the business and and I'm I'm in touch with Keith Musto, the fo- our founder. Uh, yeah, on a, on, on a semi regular basis, every now and again, he's he's no doesn't have a um, an official affiliation with the brand but in the business but he 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 still shows an interest and like i said next year is our 60th 60th anniversary so next year is a a big big year for us to kind of separate how's the ownership work these days because i i kind of heard that it had been acquired by heli hansen and then heli hansen was acquired by someone else and yeah yeah that's right so i guess heli hansen purchased musto I think it was back in 2017. So I'd been at Musto for about a year and a half, two years. We're part of a Heli Hansen group, which is made up of three brands. Um, Heli Hansen Sportswear, um, which is their sailing ski wear. Um, Musto, but Heli Hansen Workwear as well. So they're, they've got, um, they do a lot of construction and kind of building workwear as well. So um, the Heli Hansen group is then owned by um, Canadian Tire Corporation, uh, which is a huge retail uh, business based in North America, so um, yeah, we're in we're in safe hands. We've got a great great ownership um, kind of structure and lots of expertise, obviously within the brand ourselves. And we've got our very own uh, you know, team working on product, working in marketing, and a, a part of a group that enables us to to kind of get the economy and scale on certain things and and kind of share resources on on back office elements and kind of draw on expertise for from certain people to to kind of help keeping keeping the business and the brand moving forward. And it's, it's nice. They, they come to us. Um, we've got a friendly rivalry, let's say. It happens in the car industry all the time. You've got competing car brands. that. But I yeah. would have thought that Heli Hansen and Musto were harder to differentiate or is Musto really much more technical and much more professional than Heli Hansen's position? Yeah. Yeah. We certainly, from a brand positioning perspective, we that's how we position Musto as the more technical performance oriented brand whereas heli hansen's a bit more for the, the recreational sailor they they have their brand position of trusted by professionals which which they use in the mountain mountain rescue perspective and in the outdoors 
whereas yeah we're more worn by the best sailors in the world and that's kind of our point of point of difference and and how we kind of work to to develop the product and and kind of tell the story of the brand and the people that work here and the people that we work with so yeah but we that was a big piece of work at the beginning of the acquisition we kind of i guess we talk and um, we have a dialogue but yeah we we kind of still have our separate marketing teams our separate product and brand development and design teams so that yeah we do have that point of difference and we're all working towards our our individual or our, our kind of objectives as as businesses separate businesses well thank you very much nick uh, it's been a great insight into uh, into the world of Musto and also into the world of how people can get sort of carve out a part of the yacht business, which is the marketing side, which is something that's dear to my heart. So uh, thank you very yeah. much for uh, for coming on. Thanks, David. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been, um, yeah, been great. Thank you. That's it for another edition of the Yacht Business Podcast. We'll be back shortly with new episodes. So if you don't want to miss them, make sure you subscribe via your favorite podcast app or you can follow us at yachtbusiness.biz. I'll speak to you soon. The Yacht Business Podcast is produced by Pilot Media for the Pilot Media Network.